everybody, and welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad you have joined us. The nationwide protests against police brutality and systemic racism are now in their fourth week. The country's collective reckoning has been marked by significant signs of progress, with a lot of cities, counties, and municipalities rethinking the role of their police departments. Activist calls to, quote-unquote, defund the police have now become mainstream. And if you think about it, that's a concept that was foreign to a lot of Americans just a month ago. And although that phrase, defund the police, is now part of the American lexicon, there are a lot of people who are still unsure about what a world with less or no or different police would look like. How would that work? Today, we are going to talk with someone who has thought and written a lot about this topic. And I think this conversation will help a lot of us start to understand what rethinking policing means and what it could do for us as Americans. Alex Vitali is a professor of sociology at Brooklyn College, and he's also the author of a book titled The End of Policing. Alex Vitali, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you very much, Stephen. So let's start with the title of that book, which is itself quite provocative, The End of Policing. What do you mean by that, and how does that idea spelled out in your book fit into the current conversation we are having about defunding the police? Well, the the title, I think, has a couple of meanings. One is that we can think of it as a kind of means and ends question. Like, what are the, what is the end purpose of policing? What is it that we need policing to do that can't be done in any other way? And the other meaning, of course, is, you know, what can we do to, you know, reduce policing in as many ways as possible? Can we try to work towards the kind of world where we don't need to rely on people with guns to produce public safety in our communities. And obviously, uh, you know, this book has been a, a part of the developing movement around rethinking our over-reliance on policing. It's, it's been a kind of guidebook for some people, but also a reflection of uh, work that's been going on for a long time on these issues. So in, in your book, you talk a lot about what the problems are with modern policing as we see it in communities all over America right now. But for our listeners, run down a list of things that you see as problematic with not just individual officers and their behavior, which we have become very focused on, but the very idea of the police department and the sort of systemic issues that come out of that. Right. So, you know, part of the problem here is that, especially over the last 40 to 50 years, we've seen every social problem under the sun turned over to the police to manage. And the police don't really have the right tools for managing all of those problems. So, for instance, you know, we've got a problem now with, with mass homelessness around the country. And instead of building affordable housing and providing people with support services, you know, we turn that problem over to the police to manage. We've got a major problem in this country with inadequate mental health care services. 
as we shut down state mental hospitals, we were told that there would be community-level services put in place to allow people to live more independently. But those services never really uh, materialized. And then now, as people have a crisis, it's armed police that are sent to deal with them. We've had tremendous problems in funding for schools that has led to the cutting back of extracurricular activities, the elimination of school counselors and social workers, uh, classrooms uh, that are overwhelmed where teachers are having trouble managing the challenges they face. And then we've brought in school policing to try to pick up the slack on that instead of you know, really investing in much needed educational capacity. Even things like, like youth violence and domestic violence have been increasingly framed as entirely criminal justice matters and have given rise to ever more intensive and punitive forms of policing instead of looking at the possibility of community-based strategies that work with the folks in the community from a position of mutual respect and understanding to try to interrupt the cycle of violence to develop long-range strategies for, for dialing back uh, the violence that, that threatens so many people in our community. Yeah. Uh, so these are, these are some examples. Uh, one of the ways that I have been trying to describe this is by saying that essentially we have employed the police at this point to enforce the law against the citizens that they are supposed to be protecting and that what we need to do is think about how we would constitute an institution or a force that would help improve the safety and the quality of life for those citizens. I mean, and, and there's, a, there's a hard distinction, I think, uh, between those two things. You know, I, I think it's really important to point out that the folks who are, who are leading this, this movement to, to shift police funding to community-identified strategies have all been the victims of violence in their lives. And for them, policing was not a viable source of safety. And that what's, what's motivating folks in this movement more than anything else is the, is the desire to more effectively create safety, and especially in ways that don't come with the negative collateral consequences that come with policing, which is the use of violence, putting people into the criminal justice system, mass incarceration, etc. So they're really demanding an opportunity to not create this trade-off between policing and no policing, but to create alternative evidence-based strategies that they think will help more people to be safe. Hmm. Um, in your book, at the same time, you try to dispel some myths about some of the reforms that we see already taking place around police departments, this idea of community policing, shifting the focus of policing and communities, procedural justice or diversity in police hiring. Can you talk more about the limitations of some of those reforms and why you would go further to say we ought to end policing as we know it? You know, a lot of these reforms have been cooked up 
by politicians and their and their academic supporters to allow them to continue turning every problem under the sun over to the police to manage. And then when there's a problem and there are complaints about abuse, they say, well, let's trot out a few little reforms to take the edge off this, but without ever really addressing the larger underlying problem. So let's just talk about a couple of the reforms that have been very popular, things like implicit bias training. Mm -hmm. This assumes that the problems of race and policing in the United States are about the unconscious and unintentional biases in the discretionary decision-making of individual officers. And this is just not helpful in a couple of ways. One, we have a problem of explicit racism in American policing. Mm -hmm. When we look around the country, we see tremendous amounts of this. It's just a new report about uh, from an implicit bias trainer in San Francisco that who, who said that the racism is so entrenched within the culture of the department that implicit bias training has no possibility of success. But the other problem is that in a lot of cities, you know, we, we have very diverse police forces. That this is not an issue of implicit bias. It's not even an issue of explicit bias. It's a problem of political decision makers deciding to turn the problems of black and brown communities into problems for the police to solve through criminalization. And that has a negative impact on those communities so that even though the police are acting to try and reduce a problem, their tools for reducing that problem bring in more violence, criminalization, and mass incarceration. And that undermines the stability of those communities. And this is a similar problem even with community policing initiatives. Because at the root of community policing initiatives is the idea that the community needs to bring their problems to the police for the police to solve. But what tools do the police have to solve community problems? They've got guns and handcuffs and ticket books, but they don't have access to high-quality, affordable housing. They don't have access to mental health services. They don't have access to medical-quality drug treatment services. They don't have jobs for our young people. These are the services that people need to, to you know, solve these problems and create healthy communities. Mm -hmm. So that's why these reforms haven't worked over the last six years, and, and they're not going to work. And instead, we need to deeply interrogate why we're using police to address those problems. Hmm. Uh, I'm talking with Alex Vitale, a professor of sociology and coordinator of the Policing and Social Justice Project at Brooklyn College. He's also the author of a book called The End of Policing. We're talking about the incredibly strong calls right now for massive reform of policing in America following the death of George Floyd in Minneapolis, the death of lots of other people, in many cases, uh, people of color, uh, African-Americans at the hands of police. Uh, people are finally saying, we really need to do this differently. It's not just about one reform or a handful of reforms. It's about reform of the very idea 
of policing. If you want to join the conversation, give us a call. Uh, let us know what you make of these calls to defund the police. Would you support a move to abolish police departments as we know them and reconstitute them in ways that were focused on solving the problems that the police are now called to answer for? Would you want a police department that included rights advocates or social workers, people who had expertise in dealing with the problems that police are often called to come solve. Uh, also, give us a call and tell us what have your experiences with law enforcement been like? Do you feel safer when the police are present in your community? As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page uh, or to Twitter and put comments there. I will try to work social media comments into the conversation here. Um, uh, before we get to listeners, uh, Alex Vitelli, uh, I, I want you to talk some about what you think is the, the, the sort of proper way to go about this kind of reform. You point out in the book that, that we've tried the incremental up, uh, approach and it hasn't worked quite as well as we thought it would. Uh, at the same time, change on the scale that you are talking about, I think, scares people. Uh, it's intimidating to, to public officials. Uh, how do we get to the place where we say uh, it's okay? To, to, to step away from what we're doing. It's okay to say that the way this works now doesn't work at all and we need something new. I, I, I'm having a hard time thinking of many other instances in American society where we ever really get to that point. So I think it's, you know, there's a lot of um, misunderstandings and some, you know, intentional efforts to, to misrepresent this movement out there. You know, there's, there's no scenario where there's some magic switch and tomorrow, poof, there are no police. There's, there's zero chance that the Detroit City Council is going to zero out the police budget this year, right? So policing exists. The question is, how do we begin this process of unwinding this gross over-reliance on policing? So what this looks like are efforts to rethink political priorities through the budget. And this movement across the country is really being fought in local budget hearings, lobbying city council members, saying, look, we want to hire more school counselors and more coaches and more high-quality after-school programs and at the same time dial back our reliance on school policing. We want to put in place community-based anti-violence efforts that allow us to address the shootings, to address the cycle of violence that, that drives so many of these problems. And as we do that, we want to dial back this approach of using gang units and gang databases. We want to put in place better community-based mental health services so that people have fewer mental health crises so that police don't have to spend their time responding to these calls, and that when there is a crisis, we have someone other than armed police available to do that important work. So this is not about an overnight transformation. This is about a 
period of transition in which we assess the programs that we put in place, but that we do it in a serious way, that we don't just throw a few dollars to some nonprofit over here as a political favor on the side, that we really build this into the central strategy for producing public safety in the city of Detroit. Mm. Okay, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to continue this really great conversation with Alex Vitale, professor of sociology and coordinator of the Policing and Social Justice Project at Brooklyn College, also author of The End of Policing. And we are going to get to your calls and comments. John and Troy, Phyllis in Oakland County, Paulette in Detroit, we will hear from you next. If you want to join them, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. We've also got lots of Twitter comments to get to as well. You can go there or to Facebook and leave comments, and uh, we'll try to make them part of the conversation here on Detroit Today. We'll be right back with more of the show. WDET prides itself in sharing news straight up and without a PR spin. Well, here's the news about us. WDET needs to raise $2 million more million before September 30th to keep our staff and quality programming intact. In order to keep our employees working safely, our costs have gone up. Because gathering safely was not an option, all of our events have been canceled. $400,000 in sponsorship revenue dried up as well. And we know many of you are hurting because membership support is down too. We understand, but if you are one of the folks who listens and never gives, and can, it's time to give. Support the station you love and give now at WDET.org. Listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks very much for joining us. My guest is Alex Vitale. He's a professor of sociology and coordinator of the Policing and Social Justice Project at Brooklyn College, also the author of a book called The End of Policing, which asks us to think about the idea that perhaps we're doing it wrong with policing. Perhaps we are asking police to deal with problems that have better solutions than somebody who has a baton and handcuffs and a gun or a taser. There are maybe other things we could fund that would lower the incidence of crime uh, on their own and not require uh, a force of hundreds and maybe thousands of people uh, to enforce the laws against the citizens they are supposed to protect. We want to hear from you this hour and uh, hear what you think about these calls to defund the police, which we are hearing in protests that have been taking place over the last month all over this country. Would you support a move to abolish law enforcement as we know it? Uh, also give us a call and tell us what your experiences have been with law enforcement? Have you had run-ins with the police that suggest to you that uh, there is a systemic or institutional problem with policing? Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Uh, you can also go to Facebook and Twitter. Put comments there and we'll work you into 
the conversation when we can. Uh, Brad on Twitter says, I am skeptical of the police are overworked ploy. Uh, I'm a teacher and have to deal with the same issues without training and significantly less support and pay. I don't kill anyone or use a chokehold. Problems are real, but they don't excuse the actions. Uh, Chase on Twitter says, this moment allows us to deeply interrogate more than public safety. It allows us a chance to, uh, to across government and society at large to ask how funding is related to promoting the well-being of citizens. That is a deeper interrogation than just police budgets. Uh, let's go to John in Troy. John, welcome to the show. There are multiple problems in policing. I'm a police officer. Obviously, this isn't my name, but that's all there is to it. Mm -hmm. I'll get fired for saying what I want to say. Okay. Cities have bastardized police departments. They consider them as a source of revenue. The fact that we got to write so many stupid tickets for petty crimes versus letting somebody go with a warning to justify our time out there. Also, your, your, your guest is correct. The police departments are being used as mental health professionals. That's not what we are. We've completely defunded mental health. So now we have to go and try to figure out how to deal with these individuals. And there's not a lot of great tools. Hmm. So you know, it's not what we do for a living. So, John, people call people call the police. They want an immediate response. They want it fixed and they want it fixed now. Yeah, John, I, I really appreciate the call. And, and we should say that in addition to your name not being uh, John, actually, you're also not in, in Troy. I, I don't want to get anyone in trouble uh, in, in a city or for a city police department that, uh, that, that you may not be part of either. But I, I wonder if you can talk about what you think some of the solutions might be. I mean, as somebody who's doing the job and seeing the frustrations, the limitations of the activity that, that you're asked to participate in, what would, you, what would you do differently, John? How would you constitute your department uh, differently uh, in order to deal with these problems more effectively? You know, there, there's, there's quote-unquote no quota system, but if you want to stay out of, out of the supervisor's office from getting talked to saying that you're lazy you better go produce some tickets. That's wrong. Mm. You know, uh, unfortunately, you know, they're, they're, like I said, they're padding their budgets through citations. Not all cities. I, I can honestly say I don't, I don't believe the city I live in is doing that because the amount of tickets written in my city is minuscule, but the taxes I pay in my city are through the roof. Mm. Mm. But, there are some cities, and one that I worked for for a while, that if you didn't produce citations, you were in the supervisor's office all the time, all the time. And it, 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 it's disgusting. Yeah. You know, minor, and then so, so, yeah, the traffic laws are being followed and that, and I understand that. And, and there's some cities where I watch people drive, and I'm like, where, where did you folks learn how to drive? This is ridiculous, because they don't do any enforcement of traffic laws. Oh. But the, also the part of the problem is, is police officers and society in general has forgotten how to talk to one another. There are ways you can talk to people to not 
exacerbate a situation. Talking to people with dignity and respect is the first thing. And my wife just had got pulled over the other day for a very, very, very minor traffic violation. And the guy was just rude and too, I mean, to the point where my wife couldn't believe the way she she was being spoken to. Mm. Uh, John, I I, I really appreciate the call and your comments, and especially the fact that you're, you know, somebody who's doing this work and, and understands what some of the some of the problems are, Alex Vitale. We haven't talked yet about that as an inappropriate goal for policing. This idea of the revenue that it creates uh, by by ticket writing. We have communities here in Southeast Michigan that support uh, much of their their services, much of their public services, through fines and tickets and uh, citations. Uh, for things that that police are involved in in doing, it seems to me that this is yet another example of what you're talking about, which is that policing has become something other than a way to improve citizens' lives. You know, this was one of the major findings in Ferguson, Missouri, was that it was that the police were using fines to raise money, and that this created a tremendous burden. On the primar- on the primarily on the African American parts of the community, in part because that was the poorer part of the community, and poorer folks are more likely to have problems with their cars, a broken taillight, you know their inspection is a little out of date, uh, and also those communities were just targeted for more intensive policing. And the research shows that these kinds of traffic stops do nothing to enhance public safety. They just don't. And a lot of them are pretextual stops that are just a fishing expedition for drugs. And so we need a complete rethink on this. And that's actually one of the proposals in Minneapolis is to create an independent traffic enforcement force that's not armed, that doesn't have arrest powers, that would function mostly through through stopping people, giving people warnings, things like that. Hmm. Uh, again, John, we really do appreciate you uh, listening to the show and calling in to participate. Let's go to Phyllis in Oakland County. Phyllis, welcome to the show. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought I, I just wanted to put some perspective on where we might look for solutions. So this is going back um, probably 15 years, but I used to be familiar with the budget of my local municipality. And at that time, um, the district court, which is the court where the processing of all crimes start, had a budget of about $2.5 million. Mm-hmm. The, the Parks and Recreation Department had a budget of about $2.4 million, and the Police Department had a budget of $17 million. Wow. So, you know, I remember having conversations with the Director of Parks and Recreation, who said, I, I think we have this all backwards here. If I had the money to provide you know, um, programs for kids, I think we would uh, see a lot different community. We could have a lot bigger impact on our community. And, you know, I, I think police are very aware um, that uh, that they are not prepared to deal with the problems, particularly with the defunding of the mental health system. Um, again, you know, years ago in Oakland County, we started looking at um, uh, crisis intervention training for police officers, and that has really taken off. Um, the sheriff's department has done quite an amazing job of training local jurisdictions. 
But again, we have how many sworn officers responding to those calls. We have one mobile mental health unit (laughs) that's funded by the community mental health department. So, so again, I think that, um, you know, people say, where will we get money to provide these services that might replace the police needing to respond repeatedly, you know, to some homes and, and locations? Well, I think it's right there in the budget. We just have to divvy it up a little differently. Yeah. Uh, Phyllis, I really appreciate that perspective. Um, uh, Alex Vitale, uh, some of the things that that we hear frequently when people talk about, well, let's put money into social work, let's put more money into education, or let's put money uh, into things like parks, which would uh, give kids a, pl- a place to play and uh, give them places to, to you know, uh, expend energy and things like that. Uh, we always hear, well, there's not enough money to do those things. Uh, and as Phyllis points out, part of the reason often that there isn't enough money is because we spend so much on policing and that uh, that that becomes uh, the priority. Uh, again, I feel like uh, th- that that speaks very strongly to the point of, of your book, which is that we have decided that policing is the answer to every problem, and that uh, that can ha- that needs to happen to the exclusion of adequate funding for other things that might achieve the same ends more effectively. Yeah, you know, I often say my book is not really a book about police accountability. It's a book about political accountability, hmm. because these are political decisions that are being made. And I think we need to, to look to groups on the ground in communities who who are really facing public safety challenges and listen to what they have to say about this. Groups like the Detroit Justice Center, the Detroit People's Platform, the, 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 the Data Justice Project in Detroit. These are folks who have identified this, the problems in spending in policing and courts and jails and have concrete ideas about how to redirect that that money to produce better public safety. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, Phyllis, I, I really appreciate the perspective that you brought there uh, as someone who worked in municipal government. Uh, let's go to Andrew in Detroit. Andrew, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, I just want to say uh, I totally support defunding the police as step one to abolishing the police. Um, and here's why. Um, my understanding of the history of our police force is that it stems from the slave patrols of the 1700s. Mm-hmm. Um, and the context of that is that that was white society trying to protect their property. Um, so 1700s, long time ago, we want to think that we're divorced from that. Um, but if we look at Detroit specifically today, uh, we spend 30 times the amount of money from our general funds on policing than we do on economic development, while giving large, large tax breaks to uh, people like Dan Gordon and the Illiches, right? Um, So someone could put that in the context of protecting the property against, as as you've been saying, um, making it punitive for the citizens. Yeah. Um, So that's what I wanted to the input that I wanted to say, and I'll take my response. Yeah, Andrew, I really appreciate you calling and and offering that. Um, Alex Vitale, the history of policing in this country is tied, of course, to 
racism and uh, slavery and the police force as we know it today, even though it is a long way in time from those things, uh, still maintains some of the dynamics, some of the approaches that we saw uh, back then. Is that is that a reason to think about, as Andrew says, abolishing the police department uh, altogether uh, and, and rethinking the idea of, of public safety? Well, it's certainly true that the management of slaves was one of the early functions of Southern policing. And I argue the first police force in the United States was the Charleston City Watch and Guard at the very end of the 1700s that managed a mobile slave population. But in the northern cities, uh, policing gets created more to manage this massive influx of immigrant populations and to try to form them into a stable and passive working class by breaking their unions, by interfering in their political organizing, and by micro-criminalizing what was deemed to be disorderly behavior in the minds of the the city's elites, uh, from from Chicago to New York to Detroit to Boston, etc. So policing have always, you know, been the enforcers of a notion of order that doesn't benefit everyone equally. And I think that if we want to get to some future where we don't rely on police to manage our affairs, we have to address those deeper questions of underlying inequalities built into our social order. Mm, Yeah. Uh, Again, thanks very much for the call and uh, the comments, Andrew. Let's go to Paulette in Detroit. Paulette, what's on your mind? Paulette, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Yeah, go ahead. Hello. Hi. Thank you so much. Yes, I'm here. You should probably want to turn thank, down your radio. Thank, okay, thank you for <laughs> your wonderful program. Thank you. I am truly being enlightened. I am an African-American woman who is a retired speech pathologist. I... I live in a an integrated community within Detroit in Rosedale Park. Mm-hmm. I attend a wonderful church. I have friends uh, who are primarily educated, many who are teachers and other professions, and I really relate to the the loss of funding for school programs. Mm -hmm. I witnessed that during my years as a teacher, the loss of counseling, social work, the loss of arts programs, after-school programs, preschool programs. And certainly I think that all those types of interventions deserve more funding. As I've listened to your show, Mm -hmm. I have come to understand on a greater level how the police, as I look at it, are also uh, pawns in a system that, that is designed to create more wealth 
for the powerful and wealthy and to oppress working people, including the police. Mm. Mm. Uh, Paulette, I, I really love uh, that you called and, and love your comments and, and the perspective of, again, your experience uh, with, with other things, struggling for funding while the police get, uh, get so much. Uh, thank you very much for the call uh, and the comments. Let's go to Tim in Detroit. Tim, welcome to the show. Hey, Stephen. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. Great show, as always. Very important topic to be talking about. I'm a Jesuit priest. I work in downtown Detroit mm-hmm. with the homeless mm-hmm. at the Pope Francis Center. Yes. And I have to say that the downtown police officers in Detroit are phenomenal in terms of their sensitivity training and their awareness of mental health issues and addiction issues. They are so good with the homeless, and really, they take them to appointments. They, tr- they try to get them into detox. Mm-hmm. These guys are really the type of policing that we need and want in our cities. Wow. But the other issue, but the issue I think that nobody's talking about is um, in terms of if we're going to reimagine public safety and really ask the police forces to change the way they're to get rid of this systemic racism that's inherent in so many police forces. And but we've got to disarm our citizenry. I mean, the, the arms on the streets, the, the semi-automatics are on the streets. I mean, if we're going to ask them to reimagine public safety, we've got to really address the gun issues because yeah. they are. It is, you know, it's out of control. I mean, I, some of these marches that I've been in, uh, in the last few days, guys are carrying openly carrying semi-automatics. Yes. You know, it just this is that's the thing that it, they have to protect themselves too. So that I just think that it goes hand in hand with the issue of public safety. Mm. Uh, Tim, I really appreciate the call. Uh, and the comments. Uh, Alex Vitale, uh, talk about the violence that exists in American society and the amount of arms that are prevalent in our society. They say that there are 350 million guns in circulation uh, in America, which would make it uh, as violent a nation as you could imagine. If you didn't have police, what would that look like? What would happen to that dynamic? So, you know, part of the prevalence of guns in our society is a legacy of things like slavery and colonialism yes. that, that were central to the founding of American culture and have given rise to this idea that it's appropriate to use violence to manage our problems and that, you know, the, the country is riven by these divisions that can only be resolved through, through violence. So how do we, you know, break the, sil- the, the cycle of that? Well, it's not just through gun control, which would be great, but I don't think it's going to be effective. We've got to start healing these divisions. We've got to look at people like Brian Stevenson, who say we've got to quit pretending that slavery is ancient history and has nothing to do with today. We've mm-hmm. got to have a, a national accounting and reconciliation about that past, and the same thing is true about our relationship to the First Nations and indigenous people here. If I could, I want to just bring up one issue about about this connection between violence and politics and policing. Mm -hmm. You know, Detroit is one of seven cities that's being targeted by the Trump administration as part of Operation Relentless Pursuit. Yes. 
what they want to do is they, they want to flood Detroit and others and these, these six other cities with more federal law enforcement, ATF and ICE and DEA, and they're giving millions more to the Detroit Police Department to hire more officers to get the gang bangers and the drug cartels. These are kind of Trump's favorite rhetorical enemies. Mm-hmm. And this is a project for Trump to get reelected by saying he's tough on the bad guys. And what's striking about this is to see the number of big city mayors in places like Detroit who are basically embracing Trump's reelection strategy by cooperating with this initiative. And there, there's now a whole coalition of groups in Detroit who are fighting this. And, and I think that if we're serious about rethinking our approach to violence, and our over-reliance on policing, something like Operation Relentless Pursuit has to be the first thing to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, we're going to take another quick break. and When we come back, we will continue our conversation with Alex Vitale. We'll also continue to hear from you, John, on the east side at Detroit. We'll get to you next. If you want to join them, 313-577-1019 is always the number here on the phones. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019. WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. My guest is Alex Vitale. He is a professor of sociology and coordinator of the Policing and Social Justice Project at Brooklyn College. He is also the author of a book called The End of Policing, and we are talking about the calls, the massive calls now for real change in the way that police interact with Americans, especially African-Americans and other people of color who we are seeing increasing numbers of incidents uh, captured with people's cell phones of police acting quite brutally, uh, murdering African-Americans in some cases. Uh, How should we change police? Or what would you be comfortable with if we were to change policing? Uh, Give us a call and let us know. And what do you make of these calls to, quote, defund the police. Do you think that is the kind of extreme thinking that we need at this moment to really bring about reform? As always, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Let's go to Ed in Detroit. Ed, welcome to the show. Great show. Thank you. Until uh, people stop committing homicides and uh, burglaries and thefts and larcenies and so forth, we probably need a police department. We certainly don't need a police department doing the full range of tasks that we now give it, uh, handling homeless people or the drunk sleeping off his drunk in your in your uh, apartment building uh, entryway, neighborhood disputes that don't rise to the level of breaches of the peace. Mm. Um, but your caller earlier, John, complained a bit about that. Your guest has uh, suggested problems with that. But it requires our leaders, people we elect, legislators, mayors, municipal councilors, 
to tell us hard truths, that in order to have the full range of services to handle these problems, we need to be willing to pay for them. Mm. That means not only taking some money from police department budgets, but providing additional funds so we have serious uh, mental health programs, serious uh, conflict resolution programs, uh, and that means taxes. And for several decades in the state, country, we have had leaders tell us we can have modern public services mm-hmm. and we don't have to pay very it's much not gonna cost for us. it. That's absolutely right. And uh, I, I am hopeful that we will have these hard conversations, but I've lived long enough to know that people who want to get elected don't like to have hard conversations, and frankly, voters don't like to have hard conversations. They like to get services on the cheap, and it's cheaper and easier to throw these other problems onto the police, because after all, they're there, and you do know their phone number. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, Ed, I really appreciate the call and the comments. Uh, Alex Vitale, I wonder what your response is to Ed. Well, I think it's it's right that that we're not going to, for instance, be able to solve mass homelessness by just shifting resources from the police department. States and federal governments have systematically defunded public housing and Section 8 vouchers, and we've created this economy that produces just these vast inequalities. You know, local governments are taking the few resources they have and pushing them up the economic ladder to subsidize these already most successful parts of of the economy in hopes that some of that will magically trickle down. And, And we're just not seeing that trickle down. So we need to have a rethink about our economic development strategies, questions about tax fairness, and and not all this can be solved at the local level. These these are also state and federal problems. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, Again, Ed, thanks very much for the call and the comments. Uh, Chris in Macomb Township. Chris, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on. Uh All of these programs and everything, I'm 100% behind every single one of them. But I need to make this very clear to everybody listening today. We have to go out and vote in November and get rid of these people that are in office right now that are, are fueling all these problems. Everybody forgets that Donald Trump and his father were found guilty of discrimination back in the 70s when they were renting their apartment. Yeah, housing discrimination, that's true. <clears throat> yes, and we have to start. It has to start at the top, and it has to go down the ticket. We get the other other people that we need to get rid of is Mitch McConnell, and we got to get rid of Lindsey Graham and all these people that have been ingrained and have been just feeding into this. Uh, Chris, and my point is that we need to vote. We need to get out and vote. I saw Debbie Dingle yesterday on TV, mm. and she said people were apathetic. They saw these poll numbers back in 2016, where uh, Hillary Clinton was, you know, in a comfortable lead. Everybody got apathetic. Oh, she's going to get in. No problem. What happened? Mm. We've got to get out and vote. Yeah, Chris, I, I really appreciate the, the, the call and the message. Of course, uh, here on Detroit Today, we are strong advocates of 
people voting and having their rights to vote respected. Uh, we've done some things here in the state of Michigan to make it easier for people to vote and to vote absentee if that's how they choose to vote. So hopefully your message carries to lots of people's ears and we do see people exercise that right even more uh, when we get to November. Let's go to uh, quickly to John on the east side. John. Uh, I've got about two minutes left. but So thanks for the uh, – and I, I absolutely agree with Chris, but it doesn't end there. And I said this back when Obama got elected the first time. It doesn't end at the voting booth. It ends in community development, sure. community involvement. So uh, my point is that um, from the perspective of the city of Detroit, when you – have an issue you have to call 911 whether it's something at our riverfront parks whether it's somebody playing their music too loud parking across the, the sidewalk whatever you have to call 911 and it's just ridiculous to think that they could handle all that we used to have 311 for non-emergency reporting i think just a, a central 911 that would delegate where which department would take care of it because not everything involves an officer yeah. with guns. Yeah. And John, I, and I, maybe, I don't mean to I don't mean to cut you off, but we're going to run out of time, and I want to get Alex Vitale to respond. This nine one one versus three one one culture, the idea that we could expand the uh, the ability of response uh, for police officers and others is maybe a beginning. It's not just the phone number, right? It's the capacity to respond to things with someone other than police. That's key. So whether it's two numbers or one number, we have to create those alternative infrastructures. Yeah. Okay. Alex Vitale, professor of sociology at Brooklyn College and author of The End of Policing. It was really great to have you here with us for this conversation. My pleasure, Stephen. Thank you very much for being here. All right, that is going to do it for us today. Uh, Tune in tomorrow for a conversation about the push to make Juneteenth a federal holiday. And big thanks to our intern, Claire Brennan, who had a big hand in preparing today's show. Great job, Claire. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's public radio station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk more tomorrow.